AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Everybody is into soccer, so it's not a case of, like, building the game in 94. To me, the Mets have one of the most aggressive owners in all of pro sports. Women's sports has become much more high-profile. There's been a lot of focus on it. TV networks have made a killing off college football, and they will continue to do that. You have a very motivated owner, which the Padres do, which the Phillies do, which the Yankees do. You spend. I think sports may be driving some of these streaming services as they go forward. There's a shelf life to be an athlete. You have to figure out what the pivot's going to be. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damien Sassauer. Michael Barr is off for the week, and we miss him dearly. Now, on the lineup today, Shaquille O'Neal, He's not one of our guests, but he was served by FTX crypto exchange users at one particular Miami Heat game after somehow evading being served for months. That's on top of uh, his being sued over some unregistered Astro crypto tokens as well. We're going to speak with Bloomberg Law's Martina Barish on what the charges are, what this means for Shaq and uh, all his issues right now. And plus, we're going to be talking to Bloomberg's Randall Williams, who joins the program to discuss Tom Brady's post-retirement life as he's now reached an agreement, Scarlett, to become a partner and equity owner in the Las Vegas Raiders. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. But first... Legal gambling is taking off in the U.S. with more and more states legalizing and regulating sports betting. And Damien, even the classic casino gaming industry continues to thrive. That's right, Scarlett. Commercial gaming revenue topped over $60 billion last year. So joining us now to discuss the state of the gaming industry is the president and CEO of the American Gaming Association, Bill Miller. Bill, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Oh, so I'm so happy to be here with you guys. It's been five years since the Supreme Court cleared the way for states to legalize sports betting. Looking back, what part of that decision and the impact surprised you the most? Well, I think it was certainly monumental for the gaming industry. It's transformed consumer entertainment. It's innovated sport, the sports industry. And I think it's given, you know, people who had always bet on sports an opportunity to do it in a legal way. But what surprised you about this? I mean, this is something you could have said um, before it passed. Yeah, well, I, you couldn't say they could bet legally other than Nevada. And I think that that's the thing that so many people miss is that, um, this piece of federal legislation it, it enacted a monopoly for the state of Nevada against all other states that it was the only place in America where you could legally bet on sports. And so, look, people have always been betting on sports, and we all know that, mm -hmm. and with, with Super Bowl and March Madness and all the rest. Now they actually have an opportunity to bet legally. And that. so to answer your question on what surprised me most was the speed at which 
the states moved to legalize. Got it. And um, 33 states in D.C. Uh, already up and operational. More than half of all American adults live now in a legal sports betting market. It's remarkable. Well, I mean, you mentioned it right there, Bill. 33 states plus Washington, D.C. now live in a legal sports betting market. But the failure of Prop 26 and 27 back in November means California <laughs> is not one of them. Yeah. So talk to us about the yeah. nation's most populous state and why. I mean, what comes next for California? Well, I, I think that it was a, an unsatisfying result for a lot of people who spent a lot of money to move both of those propositions. Um but, you know, I think all the stakeholders go back to the drawing board. And, um, you know, certainly there are a lot of equities involved in California. And, and California is not the only state. We've right. got uh, Texas, another gigantic state with no sports betting. And Florida is stuck in the courts. And so um, you've got three gigantic states um, that still have yet to figure out what the right pathway is. But I think it was important what the Supreme Court said five years ago, and that was, that it's up to the states and the individual stakeholders within the states to figure out what sports betting looks like in that state. And so, um, yeah, is is, um, is it slow in, in these three states? It might be, but honestly, I've been spending most of my life in either government or lobbying or, and, and advocacy work, and I've never seen anything move quite as quickly as, as 33 states in D.C., up and legal within five years. What does that illegal betting look like uh, down the road now that sports gambling has been legalized in so many states? We are taking market share away from the illegal marketplace. And I think that in st we've seen it in states where the markets have become a little bit more mature. And again, maturity is, is kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? So we're only five years into a legal marketplace. The illegal market has decades of head start specifically the online offshore marketplace. Um, so look, nobody's gonna go after, you know, no one suggesting that uh, Super Bowl squares or March Madness office pools are gonna go away. Mm -hmm. But it is clear that from our perspective, we have moved sports bettors who have been, you know, betting in the illegal market, either with local bookies or off with offshore um, websites that may or may not pay you when you win to right. the legal regulated market. And then we think that that's a really, really important development. You know, I was just looking at your state of states report, 13.5 billion of tax revenue for state and local governments. What are you seeing? What trends are you seeing at the state level? Well, I think the thing that you see in the state level is uh, yeah, mostly re related to population. And so when you see a big state come on board, like uh, New York did last year, kind of December, January, you saw a pretty big spike in sports betting. Uh, I mean, we used to look at it all the time, and, and w it was remarkable. When New Jersey was live with sports betting and New York wasn't, um, the geolocation, which is key and really critical to this, you could uh, literally see the pins of people that would, apps would be not operational in New York, but they'd take the path, path train over to Hoboken <laughs> or something and literally not go to a sports book but go to a sports bar so they could bet on sports. And so we saw when New York went live, that migration of little uh, pin drops uh, stopped. And so you really have seen 
Um, you know, I think New York's probably the best example of a new state that came on that really made a big splash. I think the most important thing from from our perspective is that we're moving people from the illegal market into the legal market. And that's the best thing. With the gaming industry growing legal sports betting, there's a lot of questions about making sure that we do so in a responsible way in addressing problem gambling. Have you seen programs and the development of programs to address addiction move as quickly as the states have moved to just make sure that it's accessible to everyone? I do. I think that the gaming industry, specifically the regulated gaming industry, has a long-standing commitment to responsible gaming uh, and problem gambling. And so uh, it's not new to us in this industry. Sports betting came in. We wanted to make sure that in the same way that the general public views gaming in general, that they viewed sports betting as another option that has RG components within it. And so we have been very active as the American Gaming Association, helping to educate legislators and regulators. But then also our member companies, uh, they already have a code of conduct that they operate with um, as part of the AGA, but also as part of their licenses. Well, Bill, you know, I'm curious, you know, and I think of the gaming industry, I think of it as more of, I don't know, a, a, a defensive sector, you know, that is relatively in, inelastic, you know, to the business cycle, right? I'm thinking tobacco or alcohol. I mean, not to, you know, group, you know, gaming yeah, together with yeah. that. But, you know, my question is, what are your expectations for the industry if the U.S. slips into recession later this year? Well, I think that, you know, I, I kind of tend to think of us more, less in, in, in the construct that you put, but more in the travel and leisure space. And look, just as as people are more concerned about their financial well-being, there's certainly some that creates some headwinds for everybody in the in the you know travel, leisure and hospitality space. And so um, I think that we have seen uh, resilience in our industry, despite kind of these uh, uh, you know, gloomy forecasts about recession, but uh, so far so good. So I guess my last question then is, Bill, I mean, what are you most excited about? I mean, is it this this wave of sports you know, betting that's taken or, or is it is, is it is it uh, uh, technological innovation in, in slots and table games and eye gaming? I mean, what, when you think about the industry writ large, you know, what gets you most excited about its future? Well, I think that it's one of the great things about the gaming industry is it's continuing to evolve. And and you see that from, uh, you know, how the industry navigated COVID. Um, you know, there were it, it, at some points in time, great debates within the industry about, uh, you know, what does digital mean for the future of brick and mortar? We've seen it in other industries, certainly. And I think that what we saw in our industry is there's an opportunity to create an omni-channel dynamic for consumers whereby in COVID it was a lifeline because all of the casinos were closed. But when the casinos reopened, it gave an opportunity to chase a different demographic with regard to new customers and also keep customers who are used to doing, doing things on their phones or mobily but still want to have the unique experience that is offered it by going on property and being on the casino floor. Bill, really Sorry. appreciate your, your joining us. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. No, thank you guys so much for having me.
Bill Miller is president and CEO of the American Gaming Association, uh, talking about the five-year anniversary of the Supreme Court ruling that basically legalized gambling, uh, sports betting in the U.S. $261 billion casino industry. Unbelievable. Real numbers. Up next on the show, Shaquille O'Neal in some hot legal water after selling some unregistered NFTs. We speak with Bloomberg Law's Martina Barish on what this all means. That is straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Scarlett Fu here with Damian Sassauer. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Damian, it's been a while since FTX collapsed, but you remember when you know it was around how many star <laughs> athletes were part of the branding? Oh, I remember. Sam Bankman-Fried had all of them down in the Bahamas at his place, if I'm not mistaken. We're talking Tom Brady. We're talking Shaquille O'Neal, Steph Curry, a whole gamut of multimillionaires. Yeah, some colorful commercials during a certain Super Bowl, if I remember correctly. <laughs> hey, it's Shaquille O'Neal, and I'm excited to be partnering with FTX to help make crypto accessible for everyone. I'm all in. Are you? This is Steph Curry, the world's leading expert on cryptocurrency. I'm not. With FTX, I have everything I need to buy, sell, and trade crypto safely. I'm getting into crypto. With FTX, you in? I believe I'm in, but still hate you. You getting into crypto? With FTX? Steph and Tom are in? Oh, I'm in, bro. Man, oh man, Scarlett. I mean, we're talking Shaq, we're talking Steph Curry, we're talking Tom Brady, David Ortiz, all featured here. And the legal issues are only starting to mount for some of our favorite athletes, particularly one basketball star who just so happens to be seven feet, two inches tall. (laughs) Uh, One may argue the TV commercial king even, Shaquille O'Neal. So joining us now to discuss Shaq's current legal issues is Bloomberg Law reporter Martina Barish. Martina, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scarlett. So tell us a little bit about Shaquille O'Neal's involvement here with FTX. We know he's one of the big celebrities involved, but in what way? Uh, He allegedly promoted FTX. According to the complaint, he did it in connection with his Shaq's Funhouse event in February 2022. Uh, He announced a partnership with them, and uh, that's similar to the allegations against some of the other celebrities. And this was all in a a lawsuit that came out just after the collapse of FTX last November. You know, these celebrities allegedly promoted FTX on their uh, their various social media platforms and through their fashion or sports 
uh, networks and you know using their star power. Martina, I wonder if you could help me understand this a little bit better. I mean, we hear about Steph Curry. We hear about Tom Brady, Shaquille O'Neal, all these names uh, that have been ensnared in the FTX, you know, sort of controversy here. Has anyone been able to, I mean, you're a legal expert, you know, what do you look for as a comp if you're trying to determine potential damages, monetary damages, punitive damages? I mean, what kind of numbers could that be? I mean, these are multi-multi-millionaires we're talking here. Right. Uh, And they're the ones with money. They're the deep pockets here because uh, FTX is in bankruptcy. There, it's not clear how much investors will be able to get uh, out of FTX. Let's take punitive damages off the table for the moment because many of these claims are uh, are securities claims that don't necessarily involve sure. punitive damages. But the numbers are certainly big, and from a legal perspective, the big legal question is whether these tokens and yield-bearing accounts are securities. The SEC says tokens are securities. Uh, there was one court opinion in an early stages of a, a, a case saying, yes, they were, and the case settled. A couple other settlements happened. Uh, and now there are about three big cases pending on that question, um, and two of them at least involve uh, non-fungible tokens uh, for what that's worth, uh, which is the other suit uh, Shaquille O'Neal has um, has been ensnared in. Um, but going back to FTX, leaving aside the big question of whether whether securities are at issue at all, some of the claims that the plaintiffs are, are bringing, the, the uh, investors or, or the people who bought digital assets and are trying to get their money back, um, they say <clears throat> some of the claims they, they bring uh, may not require intent to defraud. So celebrities may... Uh, and they say, you know, we're we're we just going to pay. Know, we're just going to pay to make but, this go away. I mean, I, it sounds. That, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, Martina, but I mean, is that that's exactly where I'm trying to go here? I mean, is Adam Moskowitz, you know, the representative for the plaintiffs, just trying to extract whatever pounds of flesh he can on behalf of his clients because he knows that these are deep pocketed, you know, um, that these are deep pocketed players who are involved, or is there a real legal merit to the case? Uh, well, I think both those can be true, right? <laughs> um, the the legal merit uh, mainly hinges on, I mean, of course, some factual questions. I'm I'm sure you can have arguments about what promotion is and isn't, you know, and what people's intent was. But the big legal question is whether they're securities, and that's that's a legitimate question. Yeah, I think what's so fascinating with Shaquille O'Neal's involvement in this lawsuit, Damien, is the fact that for months. He refused to be served. And yeah. I don't know how a celebrity who is difficult to miss um, can refuse to be served for so long. I mean, the stories that have been written up about how he evaded being served are amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly right. And Scarlett, I mean, just last night at the Heat Celtics game or a few nights ago, you know, that's when Moskowitz's law firm actually had to hand him papers. And I believe whoever did that um, <laughs> was forcibly removed from the game, right? So, you know, that's the amazing thing. And, you know, I mean, Martina, that's what I find so fascinating here. Is you know, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, they'd all been served, you know, and, and, and it seems that representatives for Shaquille O'Neal were claiming that you missed your window to serve me papers and so you can't serve me now? Does that sound about right? Yeah, well, you know, we are seeing some early fights. It's certainly unusual to do that. I don't know what his strategy was uh, because he is he's pretty servable as he is. <laughs> yeah, it's hard all to miss. seven but, foot two of servability. Uh, you know, we're seeing some of these early fights. Um, there's another one over discovery or the exchange of 
documents um, that was brought by uh, not not just by Shaquille, but by many of the other uh, athletes and celebrities saying that until the court has ruled on their requests for dismissal, that there should be no requirement for them to turn over documents. And, you know, well, what's, what's in those documents? You know, it, I mean, it's a fairly reasonable and normal request to make of a court. But on the other hand, they're showing plaintiffs and, uh, you know, the investors and, and maybe um, the government as well that they're willing to fight. Yeah. Martina, really appreciate you joining us. Martina Barish is with Bloomberg Law. And Damien, um, there's another fun fact here in this story of how <laughs> FTX customers sought to serve Shaquille. They tried to do it or they thought maybe they could do it through Instagram or Twitter because he was not acknowledging okay. receipt of the complaint after multiple months of people trying to serve him and failing. But the judge said no to that possibility. Okay. You can't serve him through Instagram or Twitter. It amazing, it's amazing we live in a world where you know you still have to physically serve someone papers in, in this digital world that we live in. It's just amazing. Just think, me. if you're Shaquille O'Neal, you probably didn't order food. <laughs> Right, like you did not order delivery. You definitely delivery didn't order for Chipotle. months, right? Exactly for months because oh who God. knows who would like end up ringing your doorbell. I know it's, it's really unbelievable. Um, like you can't come face to face with anyone you don't know. Well, I mean, the one thing you can you can be assured of is you know if they're serving a seven foot two giant like Shaquille O'Neal papers at the playoff game, <laughs> I hope you didn't plan on watching the game. Oh God, well that didn't happen. So <laughs> thank you, Martina. Thank you very much. Up next, we speak with Bloomberg's Randall Williams on Tom Brady's latest involvement with the NFL's Las Vegas Raiders. That is straight ahead. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. So, Damian, it's been a while since NFL legend Tom Brady, um, you know, decided to hang up his cleats and become just a regular civilian. But now he's back in the game, we think, right? He's going to be a minority owner of the Las Vegas Raiders if uh, everything goes according to plan. Yeah, no. So joining us now is Tom Brady himself. No, I'm just kidding. Joining us now (laughs) is Bloomberg U.S. sports reporter Randall Williams. Randall, welcome to the Bloomberg Business Sports. Happy to be here. Well, talk to us a little bit about where you were last week. Talk to us about LA, bro. Talk to us about the NFL Rookie Week. What went on? Sure. The NFLPA Rookie Premiere, it's presented by Panini. So every year after the NFL Draft, the PA and Panini, together they select between you know 35 and 50 rookies uh, to go to LA. And basically they have to sign at minimum 5,000 trading cards. Some of them, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so 50 to 100 players, right? I mean, so uh, 35 to 50 30 players. is so small. It's a small group. In essence, I think the PA would like to grow the amount of players, but I mean, that means you have to extend the time period of the event itself. It's a three, four day event. You bring in 100 guys, it could be a week long. So 100 guys signing 5,000 trading cards. I'm not <laughs> sure that's on the top of the to-do list for anybody. So how engaged was C.J. Stroud? I mean, like, seriously, which players from you just, you know, standing in the background, you know, which rookie players seem most engaged at the event? So this year is a little different because of NIL. Last year when I attended for uh, Boardroom, it was the first year, but there was a little bit of uneasiness with the rookies at large, just because, you know, yeah. in terms of how they profit off their name, image, and likeness, it was the first time. This year is completely different. The guys know what their brands, how they want to be, and a good portion of them are 
have made millions before they even entered yeah. the league. I'm in the process of writing a story, so it'll, it'll come out pretty soon, and you guys will be able to read all about it. So they have a brand to protect, they have a brand to build and expand. Of course, at this event, you have a lot of the sponsors attending as well, right? It's not just Panini America. There's Procter & Gamble, Pepsi, DraftKings. I mean, the list goes on. What kind of engagement is there between these sponsors and the players? After the players, there's a transition around these stations that the brand set up, and most of them are in private rooms because they're capturing content, meeting the rookies, and you bring in media, too much media, it becomes a frenzy. So So... they're in these private rooms and they're capturing content, you know, sleep numbers there, the guys are laying on the bed, EA Sports is there doing things for their Madden game. All of these things are very, very private, like it's even hard for me to get in there and I'm mm. not even going into detail on on some of their activations, so to speak. But it's, a, it's definitely an event that the brands are vying to go to because it's a lot of private time. How much time do you get with yeah. the top five, ten picks of the NFL draft? It's not a lot. I mean, you go from the NFL draft to rookie OTAs to so many things. It's it's not a lot of time for brands to meet um, some of these rookies, and this this event offers that time. So they're cultivating relationships, or they're solidifying how they're going to move forward with expanding each other's brand? I'd say both. It depends on the brand. I mean, the, the advantage that NIL has lended to college athletes is that some of these guys are entering this event with pre-existing relationships with the brands that are already there. Sometimes the relationships are brand new. It just depends. Well, look, you know, I'll tell you, we can obviously guess what kind of players were there, and we kind of know some of the brands that were there. I'll tell you one brand that was not there, FTX. Talk to us about what is going on with FTX, with, you know, Tom Brady. I mean, I even heard that, you know, some law firm handed Shaq O'Neal papers at the Celtics Heat game the other night because of this lawsuit. And talk to us about how the NFL's players associate, you know, how they're teaching these rookies to protect their brands from the FTXs of the world. Is that part of the curriculum there? Yes. I don't know that the NFLPA identifies a brand to be like, oh, don't do business. Don't do business with them. In terms of how they're going into these deals and negotiations, they're definitely, here's the do's and don'ts that we advise you on. Whatever they decide to do afterwards is completely up to them. But there's group licensing and there's individual licensing. So obviously in a game like Madden and that the NFLPA licenses the players' rights to go out to, then that's that's where the PA comes into effect. The individual deals, NFLPA doesn't really have much to do with those. Now they'll say in these sessions, hey, here are the do's and don'ts. But when some of these players have representation for so long, um, they should know it. Yeah. They should know it. Now, a year ago, you couldn't say that. That's why some the NIL valuations of some of these players were a little lower than yeah. what they are right now. I mean, the number one pick, I think Bryce Young's valuation by one was $3.5 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number one player in 2022, I think it was like 350000 Yeah, but I mean, I think, I think really at the end of the day, even the NFL doesn't know, right, Scarlett, the damages or the potential punitive damages that might very well be inflicted on players like you know, Shaq O'Neal or Tom Mm -hmm. Brady due to some of these businesses, some of these, you know, I mean, crypto, you know, I mean, people thought it was real back then. It's not real anymore. But I guess sticking on the Tom Brady conversation, there's been some news on that front, Randall. Talk to us a little bit about the Raiders. Sure, sure. He's he's a part owner now. Part owner now. Nobody, I don't think anybody knows what his stake is in the Raiders, but he's a minority owner. And in some ways, it's a full circle moment. If you track back, let's four years ago, when Tom Brady was a free agent, um, Dana White had a conversation, I think it was with Rob Gronkowski on a UFC broadcast, and essentially he said that Dana White negotiated a deal for Tom Brady to come and play for the Raiders. John Gruden, the head coach of the Raiders at the time, it never happened, right. mm-hmm. essentially. 
And so then he ended up going to the Buccaneers, and we all know the rest. But he had a relationship at some point. Now, obviously, it went in separate ways for a number of years because he went to go play for the Buccaneers. But ownership in the NFL is something that he's pursued before. Even after the Raiders thing, there was— The Dolphins. Right, exactly. I mean, they lost the first-round pick this year because of Stephen Ross and his buddy Bradley Beal. I mean, who's the vice chairman of the Dolphins, basically— he was talking to him about, it. I think, an equity stake, not necessarily him coming to play for the Dolphins, but I'm confused. The report was both from, I think it was Mike Florio at Pro Football Focus. Right. Um, but the report was both. The report was that he was going to be a part owner, be the quarterback, and Sean Payton was going to be the head coach. Right. Um, and then, of course, all of that was With foiled. an equity kicker. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's, I'm interested to know, let's just, God forbid something happens with Tua Tagovailoa this year. Uh-huh. But if Tom Brady decides, let's say something happens with Tua Tagovailoa and he ends up out for a specific amount of time or whatever. If Tom Brady wants to go play for the Miami Dolphins, does he now have to sell his stake Ooh, in yeah. the Raiders? Yes, exactly. If he unretires, right? Right. He would probably have to, I would think. It would be a conflict there. I would think so. Is he? Is his ownership a done deal or do lots of people have to sign off on it? I mean, do, do, does the rest of the league's owners have to sign off on it? I believe yeah. the 24 of the 32 owners have to approve of it, but mm-hmm. I don't know that there's any reason that they won't. Mm. What do you think this means for his $375 million uh, 10-year deal with Fox? Yes. I mean, I mean with the, this... the richest broadcast contract that we know of. I mean, th- now now we're talking about numbers that we can relate to. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. 10-year yeah. I mean, <laughs> 375, no problem here. Who knows what Tom Brady's going to do in the next couple of years? He's, he's. You think when it's when it's him uh, calling the games on a Sunday afternoon, he's going to say that the Raiders? He thinks the Raiders going to lose? I don't think so. If he's a Raiders owner, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, 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 I think, think he would. I, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. it's Tom Brady. Randall, do you think? Just take a step back. Then, what is the real reason? I mean, these NFL owners are all billionaires. I mean, yep. Mark Davis doesn't need the money. Maybe the valuation that Tom provided to him for the Raiders that he liked that valuation. Maybe it was he thinks that Tom's brand can add some. Thing to the franchise like- owners wanted they would have no trouble opening their ownership circles to have investors i mean we saw it a couple years ago when the broncos sold for example like after the deal was closed we saw lewis hamilton come into the ownership right, group we right. saw uh, condoleezza rice come into the ownership group so in different instances ownership groups are 100 percent opened up for specific individuals mm-hmm. why Mark Davis opened it up for Tom Brady. You could say he's the GOAT. He's, yeah. you know, the greatest football marketer ever in terms mm-hmm. of a guy who has helped the game grow. Probably more endorsement dollars than any exactly. other. Yeah. Anytime Ex- the the name Tom Brady appears in print, it'll say comma, you know, winningest football quarterback sure. of all time and part owner of the yep. Raiders. Yep. Now, the, the interesting thing to me is the fact that when you talk about football earnings, Patrick Mahomes' contract is $450 million. But by the time he's done playing, he will have made half a billion dollars on yeah. the football field. Yeah. Is he going to be welcomed into some of these ownership groups the same way? Because as we're seeing, the NFL players are and the NBA players are so, and the MLB players too, all of them are making so much more money than what they used to be. Yeah. And so with that, we're seeing more players invest in different things. Yeah. Not a lot of players have invested in the big leagues yet, unless you are a GOAT, i.e. Michael Jordan and the Hornets. And LeBron has talked about having the Vegas team, but there aren't a lot of players who are jumping into the bigger leagues. Yeah, they buy pickleball, but that's different. I mean, yeah, $100,000 to get in versus who knows what the stake is or what the minority stake is to get in for a team. Randall Williams, Bloomberg U.S. sports reporter. Thank you for joining us here, laying your knowledge on us and all that good stuff. Yes, I'll be back soon. Look forward to it. Up next on the show, our producer and engineer, Sebastian Escobar, puts us through the numerical gauntlet yet again as we play this week's 
number of the week, Scarlett. Oh, I'm, I'm groaning inside yeah, already. No, uh, me too. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Damian Sassauer, along with Scarlett Fu. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. And it's time to play the number of the week. Aye. Sebastian, <laughs> our producer and audio engineer, is here to run us through the gauntlet. Sebastian, what do you got for us? All right, guys. So, uh, you know, the Oakland A's seems like they're going to be out of Oakland pretty soon mm-hmm. and heading over to across the desert to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So now as we put a pin on the end of the Oakland A's' reign in the Bay Area, I want to know... What is their winning percentage oh, from the time that they were in Oakland from 1968? And we'll go to 2022. And let's Regular not count. season or postseason? It doesn't included. even matter. It's so bad. All the games. So this, <laughs> is, this is including the games. <laughs> All the games. Well, I'm going to guess it's sub 500 for sure. Yeah, I um, think so. so I'm going to start there. Now, it can't be like It's got to be like 450 for me. I'll go 450. I'm going to say it's 425. 450, 425. Guys, let's remember this was a star studded team in the 70s. <laughs> that was only for a few years. Reggie okay, Jackson okay, so went to the saying, Yankees. What are you saying? We're underestimating. I guess, I guess the he's A's saying it's like 525 or 550, even maybe. Um, I mean, I, I mean, if he's telling us we're too low below and, 500. And when did the A's move to Oakland? This was, uh, this was 1968. Okay. 1968 to 2022. So what did I say first? I said 450. All right, I'll go higher. 451. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, 560. 560 for me. All right, I'll go 520. 520, 560. And Damien, you are the closest here at 518 winning percent. 518. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, it's got to be in that range, right? Of just under like 480 to 520. Most teams are probably It's still just a coin there. toss. I would have thought, though, that's a good question because I really would have thought, just given recent memory and the fact that they are sucking win this year, that, you know, it would have been below 500. Yeah. Now, I can tell you, uh, if we're including this year, uh, the A's are below 500. Yeah, you see that? <laughs> there you go. 
Oh, man. Poor, I mean, I, I got to feel bad for Billy Bean. He's such a talent. You know, I mean, well, I guess I don't feel bad anymore. He's going to be going down to uh, Las Vegas if everything goes their way. You know, Scarlett, what's interesting is that it looks like they're going to have to tap Clark County for a $380 million loan to get a stadium down there. And what I found most interesting, inter- uh, interestingly, is that if they don't have a stadium deal in place by January of 2024, they are no longer a part of the Major League Baseball, co- I, I, what is it, the revenue sharing agreement, right? So, wow. So, yeah. So, that's kind of big news. So, if you're that is no time at all. It's no time at all, right? So, I mean, you know how politics work. So, I mean, my question is, can't Clark County kind of hold their feet to the coals a bit here and extract their pound of flesh? I'm thinking they just may be able to do that. Are they not aware of how things work? Or maybe it's because they're aware of how things work. <laughs> maybe it's exactly. Maybe it's because that is how things work. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how things work here. We not do just one number. We do two numbers. Oh, okay. So oh, we get boy. a chance to redeem ourselves. Okay. We do have or a chance. I get a chance. But I don't know. It's soccer related. So let's talk a little bit about it. In two weeks, we have the UEFA Champions League final taking okay. place uh, in Turkey. Uh, Istanbul's at the Turk Olympic Stadium. This is on Saturday, June 10th of uh, this year. So what I want to know, guys, is... How much did Real Madrid earn for winning the Champions League final last year? This will be in dollars. Oh my God, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Three hundred million. No, come on, they don't win that much money, really, for winning a league. I don't know. I mean, look, don't get me wrong; these these soccer clubs have quite a bit of coin, but this is the most prestigious tournament in European soccer. Uh, it, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, it. The purses just keep going up every year. I don't know what what they, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I, you know me, I'm not a footballer like that. (laughs) Lay it on us, Sebastian. How bad do we look here? All right, well, I'll tell you one thing. bad at this. I uh, guess we knew that. It is $146 million that they won. What did right I say? In the middle. I said you 300 were good. something million. You were good. <laughs> well, Sebastian, thank you for uh, making me look so foolish on uh, on the Bloomberg Business well, Sports nicely Radio. Nicely done, guys. I think uh, <laughs> we'll try again next time. What, was this a draw? Could we say that this was a yeah, draw? I'd take a draw, sure. Okay. Let's say we, we all lose here. Oh, so yeah, lies. it's a draw. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. We'd like to thank our guests, American Gaming Association President and CEO Bill Miller, as well as Bloomberg reporters Martina Barish and Randall Williams for joining us this week. And of course, thank you for listening. I'm Scarlett Fu. You can find me on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And I'm on Twitter at D Sassauer. And I'm Sebastian. You can find me on Twitter at Under the Sea Bass. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. Tune in again next week for the latest on the sports stories moving big money in the world of sports. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show from Bloomberg Radio around the world. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.